Well, good morning, Freshwater. Happy spring. Right? Looks so good. So good out there. Hey, this morning we're going to be in Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 20, no, 32. Um, we're going to get through as many of those verses as we can here this morning. Again, it's Acts 17, verses 16 through 32. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn there. If you have your device, just go ahead and click there. There's a couple of things that I want to do before we get into the passage this morning. The first thing is I want to ask you a question about Generation Z. Question about Generation Z. The Barna Group would define Generation Z as those that are born between 1999 and 2015. All right, so how many Gen Zers do we have in the building here this morning? Raise your hand up high. Be proud about it. Yeah, there you go. So we have some of them here, and we have several of them over there in the children's wing, right? So the question that Barna asked this group, it was in 2021, it would have been a group of individuals between the ages of 13 and 21, and they would have been identified as practicing Christians, practicing Christians. And the question is, why do you go to church? Why do you go to church? So I want to ask you that question this morning, not specifically for you, but thinking about Generation Z, why do you think they go to church? So up on the screen here is the possible responses. This is in the survey. These were the answers that they had to choose from. I took the top two answers off because they were pretty obvious to learn about God and grow in my faith, like those two things. So in addition to those answers, the rest of those there, they could have chosen, they could chose more than just one. All right, so you can see that it's, it's how I live out my faith, wisdom for how to live faithfully, the worship and the music, teachings relevant to my life, it is the right thing to do, wisdom for how scriptures apply to my life, I always have, okay, my family does, and to be involved with my community. So what do you guys think? Generation Z, what do you think? So I already gave you the top two. What do you think maybe three and four would be? All right, get there, going, tick-tock, tick-tock. He's got it. All right, all right, next slide. Show the, re the results. Here are the results. So the top two, again, to learn about God, 73%. To grow in my faith, 68%. It's how I live out my faith, 54%. Wisdom for how to live faithfully, 47%. Worship and music, 45%. And teachings relevant to my life, 44%. What's interesting about this survey is it reveals that when Generation Z comes to church, they not only want to learn about their faith and grow in their faith, but they want to experience their faith. So how did you guys do? Did you do okay? Think? You with me? Like nod, shake your head, don't care. If you don't care, that's one of the problems, to be honest. Okay, so when you, when you look at this, now I was asked this same question. That's why I want to go here. I was asked this same question. I was part of a cohort online through Barna. It was something that you needed to sign up for. It was kind of a resource on reaching Gen Z. So it's on reaching Gen Z. So the people that were there were investing in Gen Z, right? It just wasn't somebody who showed up and says, I don't have anything better to do in my time. I think I'm going to do this. It's people that are invested in this generation. And we were asked that same question. What do you think? And it was an online poll, so they got the instant results. And what was interesting about it is, is all of those people, by far, the majority put, my family does, and to be involved with my community. That was the people working with Gen Z. 
It showed at that moment that the people that were working with the generation, there was a preconceived notion. There was a disconnect, right, between the people that were working with the generation and the generation itself. So why do I still go to these things? Why do I still learn? Why do I still hang out with Gen Z? I do it to make sure that I understand the people that I'm trying to reach, understand the the people that I'm trying to come alongside of. Like I could check out, I'm 51 years old, I'm called to youth ministry, I love Jesus, I've been doing this for over 21 years, I should have it figured out, right? Yes, because generations never change. If the thing that worked a long time ago in youth ministry when I started back, everyone was black and white, right? Not so much anymore. So today we're going to talk about culture. And when we talk about culture, let's start with this definition. We're going to have it up here on the screen. Leslie Newbegin, um, he was a guy who was born in 1909, died in 1998. He did about everything you could in Christendom. He was a missionary, a missiologist. Um, he was into apologetics. He was an author. He was a theologian. You name it, this is what he did. And he did this deep dive into culture. And I won't go into how he got into it. It's interesting and sad at the same time. But this is what he said about culture. It's the sum total of the ways of living. So it's how we live affected by things like our attitudes, our beliefs, and our customs, right? Built up by human community. So there's a group of people that are involved in this and transmitted from one generation to another. Transmitted, um, communicated, right? Through language, uh, art forms, uh, rituals, customs, institutions, all of those things, right? So kind of my dummy definition of culture um, would be that when we look at culture, it's how people live based on what they've experienced or were taught along the way. So as we take a look at culture, it's important for us to at least be aware of it because whether we're aware of it or not, culture affects all of us. In fact, if you think about your life, you weave in and out of cultures all the time. You think it's just kind of your life and it's how you do life, but you weave in and out of these different cultures. Your family has a certain culture to it, right? Where you work has a certain culture to it. Where you go to school has a certain culture to it. Fresh water has a certain culture to it. Does that make sense? So as you navigate through these things, you're going through different cultures and you have to figure out how you're going to maneuver through those cultures. And sometimes the cultures collide, right? So what are we going to do when the cultures collide? But when we look at us in here today, all right, generally speaking, even though we're involved in a lot of different cultures and there's some crossover there, when we talk about culture today, you guys here, generally speaking, right, the gap between us and our cultures are not that big. Does that make sense? Like for us to connect with one another, to be familiar with one another, we're not really foreigners in this room. There's, there's a small gap. It's a bridge that's easy to get over. The bridge doesn't have to be that long. But there's times where the cultures are much bigger in the gap and the bridge has to be a whole lot longer. In fact, I would say today in the culture that we live in, and the way that the world is going, specifically in the United States, the gap between our neighbor and the gospel, our neighbor and what God's word has to say, our neighbor and what the church is supposed to be about continues to widen. It continues to widen. 
So let's take a look at culture this morning. Over the last two months, right, we've been in a series called The Axe Movement. And in The Axe Movement, um, we're almost done. This is the second to the last message. And, and if you go up here, here's the, here's the handout. Here's the timeline that we've been working with. So we have those three eras that are up there, right? We have the apostolic, we have the expansion, and then we have the missional. So another question for you this morning, which one of those eras do you think was the biggest gap between the gospel message and the people that they were trying to reach? The gospel message in the culture, which one of those eras? What do you think? Missional. Thank you, Josh. Yeah, missional. Now, we found out if you were listening and you were thinking through cultures, people were talking, cultures were colliding all the time. In fact, back at, right at the beginning in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit lands on everybody, right? And, and, and they're speaking, it says the tongues of fire came on them and the people that were there heard it all in their own language. Like even they were all Jews at that time. It says that they were all Jews, but they came from different areas and they spoke different languages. At that moment, the Holy Spirit went, <laughs> gap, none right? The bridge was automatically connected there. So we saw it over and over and over again. But the missional era, which starts in Acts 13, that's really where it starts with Paul and his first missionary journey. When you look from Acts 13 on, there's a lot about Paul and his missionary journeys and what we can learn from that. So when we look at Acts 17 this morning, we're actually in Paul's second missionary journey. All right, second. So Acts 17, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you um, for Jesus, as we sang about and we lifted up. God, I pray that uh, as we open up your word, God, as I bring the message this morning, I pray that you would move. God, I pray that I wouldn't get connected to my notes, that I would get connected to your spirit. God, move in us today. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 16. Now, we're going to break these up in chunks, read a little bit, talk a little bit, read a little bit. Ready? Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, that would have been for Silas and Timothy, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. Okay, so we're going to stop there. If some of this sounds like kind of deja vu to you, um, let's just kind of, let's just say it might, all right? I, I gave a message on this exact same passage back in January of 2020. It's not the same message. I, I promise, I promise that. But you're going to hear some of the things that are similar. So when we look at specifically Paul dropping into this culture that we're going to find is this huge gap, what can we learn for Paul, from Paul as he moves into the culture and meets with the people? So the first thing I want to point out is it says that his spirit was provoked. His spirit was provoked. The word there has the idea of anger, frustration, irritation, or even just heartache. And I believe, and I talked on this the last time, I believe Paul was feeling both, that that word applies to both. 
that when Paul saw the lostness around him, his heart broke for the people that he saw. The people that were in bondage, his heart broke for that. And then as he went around and he saw the idols and all the additional altars too, that he was angry. He was angry at the sin. He was angry at the false gods. He was angry at the evil that he saw. So his spirit was provoked. Something that I picked up this time as I was studying that I, I, that I didn't know the first time was, was provoked has the idea that it kept happening, happening over and over again. The tense of that word means it was repetitive. So like possibly with each conversation he had, his spirit was provoked. With each altar that he saw an idol, his spirit was provoked. See, that's how Paul would have moved through it says that Paul went to the synagogue church, uh, the, the synagogue or church, right? First, and then he went out in the marketplace. That's another thing that we see here. That was Paul's custom. He would go to the synagogue or the church first, and then he would head out in the marketplace. So Paul didn't just keep his faith within the church or the synagogue. He moved it out as well. It says that he reasoned and conversed. He reasoned and conversed with the people. He, that, that has the idea of he actually wanted to connect with the people he was talking to. He just didn't want to talk at them. He wanted to talk with them, right? He just didn't want to hear certain things. He wanted to listen to them. He wanted to come alongside of them as people, people that he loved and people that he cared about. And it says that he reasoned and conversed with those who happened to be there. This has the idea of just as he went, as Paul lived his life, this is just what he did with the people that happened to be there. Whoever he would run into that day, he would converse and he would reason with. And we know this is not something new for Paul, right? If, if you know the book of Acts and you, you continue to move through the book of Acts and Paul's other writings, you know that this was a normal experience for Paul. Like when Paul went into an area, he, you talk about speaking the name of Jesus, like he went into the area and he's just like, oh, these people need Jesus. You that have Jesus, you need to grow in Jesus. You need Jesus. You need to grow in Jesus. You need Jesus. You need to grow in Jesus. Like he had this desire. This is the way that Paul operated. This is the way that Paul lived his life. And when I was reflecting on just that piece, that wherever Paul went, I immediately thought of the Great Commission, right? Right? Matthew 28, 18 through 20. If you're not familiar with the Great Commission, the Great Commission, Jesus dies on the cross. He, 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 he rises again, and then he's with his followers for a short period of time before he goes up into heaven. And one of the last things that he says to his followers, he says, look, all power, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore, go, or go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The idea of go there when you study it is as you go, <laughs> like as you live your life. Not just, a, not just a program, not just something that we do in a season. It's actually as we go our life. The other thing just so happened, the people that just so happened to cross his path, the other thing about that is that if Paul's talking to anybody that crossed his path, then Paul made sure that there was nothing that got in the way of actually connecting and meeting with people. See, Paul would have seen people from a spiritual perspective he wouldn't have talked to people and said, oh, that's that person. They're a part of that group, right? That's their label. 
That's the way that they behave. Like Paul wouldn't have done that. He was seeing them from a spiritual perspective. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5.16, he's speaking about being an ambassador of Christ in the, in the ministry of reconciliation. If we are Christ's followers, right, the message of reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation, we're reconciling God's creation back to him. So he's talking about all of that, and the first, ver- the first part of the verse, 2 Corinthians 5.16, says this. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Isn't that interesting? Paul says, man, once I came to Jesus, I don't judge people with the same worldly standards and values that everyone else does. He says, look, I see people now with spiritual glasses. I see people as God's creation. I see them as eternal souls, right? I see them in God's image. And I see them created for a relationship with God. That is how Paul would have moved through. So here's a quick little x-ray. X-rays usually don't hurt, you know, unless you got that broken bone. Have you guys ever experienced that? Like my, my one arm was all jacked up and they're like, hey, just bend it this way. Just lay it this way. Just do this, right? And it's like, it didn't hurt. And you're like, ha, huh. you know, there's a reason that it's broke. So x-rays aren't supposed to hurt, but this one might hurt a little bit. So when you look at it and you look at your life compared to Paul's, is your heart sick for those that are lost around you? Do you get angry at the idols that you see in the culture. We don't see the same idols. It's not like we walk through town and we see this idol and we see this altar and this idol and this altar, right? We don't necessarily see that, but there's plenty of altars or there's plenty of idols, right, in America, plenty of them. Do you get angry not only when you see them out there, but do you get angry when you see them in here? Like the idols in our own lives, right? That we have this throne in our life where God is supposed to resign, that King Jesus is supposed to be, right, the leader of our life. We're supposed to be following him, and then anything that comes and takes him off that throne and we place there on top of that, that's an idol in our life. Do we get angry about what we see in our own lives? Does your faith go outside the walls of the church or does it stay here? Are you connecting or conversing with those around you as you go about your days? Freshwater, um, I don't know, some people may argue with me about this, but in my lifetime, I have never seen a period of time where people are so hungry for connection. That they wanna share their story. They wanna make sure that their story matters, that somebody knows. Like, that's the culture that we're living in today. David Osberger writes this in his book, Caring Enough to Hear and to Be Heard. He says, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. Almost indistinguishable. The night of the spaghetti dinner, I was in this room here, so the fundraiser that we had, and one of the teens was uh, further out in, in, in this room, and I came in, and she was cleaning things up, and, and she looked at me, and she goes, I just love serving people. <laughs> I was like, really? Like, I was just spaghetti dinner and all that stuff. I just love serving people. And I go, really? She goes, yeah. She goes, when I serve people where I work, you would not believe the conversations that I have with people and the things that they share with me as I'm filling their order. It's just somebody feeling an order, but obviously taking time as she lives her life in the role that she's in, listening to stories. Do we see people from God's perspective or do we see them as groups and labels and behavior?
So let's move on. We're going to move on here um, to uh, starting again in 18. Some of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does the babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Okay, so I'm not going to pretend to just be an expert on Epicurean, okay, philosophy or Stoic philosophy. So we're going to go to philosophybasics.com. All right, here we go for this. This is what they say about Epicureanism. It teaches that the greatest good is to seek modest pleasure in order to obtain a state of tranquility, freedom from fear, and absent from bodily pain. Living in such a way where you can get the greatest amount of pleasure during a lifetime, but not overindulging, that could cause pain and suffering. So my definition of that, or kind of a layman's on what this is, is they basically say, look, you just exist, welcome to life, get as much pleasure as you can, but don't overdo it. Okay? That's what an Epicurean, that's how they would live their life. The Stoics believe that everything is determined by a universal mind or reason. Therefore, God should accept, not God, people should accept whatever they meet in life without fear or complaint and adjust their lives to fit what nature has determined for them. Self-discipline was essential. Reason was always to have control over feelings. So in this way of thinking, life isn't just random. There's cause and effect but you're going to lean heavy into self-help and self-improvement. And if you look at the people around you today, you can see part of those philosophies in them, right? We live our lives for pleasure. How do we get rid of pain in our lives? Self-help, self-improvement, like all of those things are huge in our culture. We also learn in this passage that, that the culture, the people that Paul was trying to reach, right, and the message that he had Huge gap, right? They say, this, is, this has got to be foreign divinities. Like, I remember, like in Athens, there are a lot of gods and altars there, false gods, right? Historians sometimes make reference to this. I've seen this over and over again. They said it was easier to find a god in Athens than it was a man. This is how many gods were there. And still, with all of that, they're going, whoa, 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 whoa. This is foreign to us. This is strange to our ears. They called him a babbler as well. Babbler there has the idea to go, you really don't know what you're talking about. Like you're just kind of just spouting off. And, and if you guys experience that sometimes like in your own life, because I have, right? Hopefully not when I'm giving a message, like that's not what I want. But, but the whole idea of being a babbler, there's times where I hear something and I'm like, oh, that, that's right. Like I get it. And then I go and share it with somebody else and they start asking me questions and I'm like, uh... Uh, uh, but, uh, right? It's babbling. I really don't know. Think about Paul, how intellectual he was, how rational he was, how logical he was. You know his argument and the way that he said it was all connected. But the people that, was, that were receiving the message, the, the, the difference between their culture and the people and his message was so different that they're going, you're just babbling. You're just babbling. So you get the picture, huge gap between the people and the message. What Paul was saying wasn't connecting with the people. And maybe if you shared your faith recently, you can relate to that, right? 
You sit there and you say, yeah, let me talk to you about Jesus. Who? Yeah, yeah, Jesus that, that died on the cross. What? He, he rose again. What? What? And the longer we go in our culture, the longer we go in our culture, for some of you, would be like, what? Like, we live in Wadsworth. We live in Ripon. We live in Doylestown. We live in Medina, right? Chippewa. Here's where we're at. No, I can still talk to people. Maybe you haven't run into this yet. But culture is changing at such a level that it's getting to the point to where if you refer to anything spiritual, not that they are like against the Bible, they just know nothing about the Bible. And so Paul is in this moment, right? But even though some were rejecting, I love it here, it says that some of them would just spend time with nothing except telling or hearing something new. Even Paul's message was like too much for him. Like some of them were already checking out. <laughs> like I'm out. I got something better to do. He's just babbling. That was the distance between the message and the people and the culture. So let's move on. They invite him still to hear some more stuff at the Areopagus. At the Areopagus, think about a place where these two uh, groups of uh, philosophy, uh, groups of uh, philosophical thought are here. And it's a place where uh, they might have done like trials, talked about and debated certain things, just important things. This is where this center would have been, the Areopagus. And every time I read this passage, I hate it and I love it. I hate it and I love it because it's so convicting. But when I came to this part the first time, and as I keep coming to this part, this part amazes me. This part really amazes me at what Paul does here. And when I first read this years ago, I thought, yeah, 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 yeah. And now as I read this today, I'm like, yeah. This is like, this is where we're at. What does this look like? So let's look at what Paul does. So in verse 22, so Paul standing in the midst of the Areopagus says, men of Athens, I perceive in every way you are religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also the altar with the inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Look at what Paul did. Paul's moving in. He knows there's this disconnect. And what does he try to do? He tries to connect with the people again. He's had these conversations, but he's going, look, I have perceived, I have observed. Paul's basically starting off going, hey, I've learned this about you. This is what I know about you. And it wouldn't have been condemning. I think, I think sometimes with our message, we come with a condemning thing. Oh, I know this about you. I know what you believe. Paul didn't do that. He was like, let's listen. This is, I think this is you. And how is it when somebody communicates that with you? Like you're actually having a conversation and they go, this is what I learned about you. This is what I know about you. Is this true? Is this how you feel? Like, is this what you believe? Like, what does that communicate? Give me something. What does that communicate? What? That you're listening. That you're not only listening, but you understand, right? There's value in that. And in our culture, there's even love in that. He doesn't bash, light up, or condemn the culture, right? It doesn't, it doesn't start with, oh, men of Athens. <laughs> I have perceived you're really lost. You're blinded. You're, you're following all these false idols. And by the way, God's coming back. Good luck. Like that's not Paul's approach, right? 
Paul meets him, cares about him, treats him as human beings. He connects with them as people and something that they could relate to. He references their spirituality. This blows my mind. He references their spirituality, even though it was misguided. And I want you to think about that. That's an easy phrase to just kind of say, but these people were worshiping false idols. There was even the demonic that would have been a part in there. It had to be. But yet he references that. And he says, look, I've noticed you are very spiritual people, right? Again, he doesn't condemn their spirituality. He doesn't start with going, okay, you're very spiritual, but you're wrong. You know what you're doing. Do you know where this leads? Like he doesn't do that. He actually comes alongside and goes, look, I see. I see that you're very spiritual. Not only does he do that, but um, then he references an altar right to the unknown God. This blows my mind too. Because again, he doesn't correct things. He doesn't, he doesn't come in and go, that altar's wrong, that altar's wrong, that altar's wrong, that altar's wrong. Hey, that altar's wrong, but that one, let's talk about this one. Okay? All the rest of them are false, throw it out. Let's just talk about this one. No. He, 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 he takes it and he goes, let's focus in on this one. Let's focus in on this one. See how he's stepping into where they're at, connecting with their at, and he's not just connecting and stepping in just so he can win an argument because he cares and he has a message that he knows that they need to hear. And I love this. It's as if Paul is just kind of stepping in and going, you, you see this altar right here to the unknown God? <laughs> I want to tell you something. It's like that unknown God can be known. And I know him. And I'm about to tell you about him right? Again, there's this connection. He's taking something that's in the culture that they could relate to, that they were familiar with, to connect that, to form that bridge, right, for the message that he was trying to communicate to them. We need to connect with people around us in such a way that we know their hearts, that we know their struggles, that they know we know their pain, we know their desires, we know their passions, right? And as we do that and we know people, you look for opportunities where Jesus can meet in the midst of that. Carapal, not, not our carapal, it's sitting in the back. Mom just looked hard like, what? Not our carapal, but the carapal from Fuller Youth Institute. She tells this story about having a conversation with a youth leader at one point, and their 15-year-old, one of the 15-year-old students came up to them, and I might have shared this before, and this is what he said. He said, I wish the church would stop giving me answers to questions I'm not asking. And some people, and I'll tell you, this is, this is where I really, it's interesting when you study this passage, because the way I'm going with this, there are people that do not like this direction. They don't. Like, there's commentaries going, ah, this isn't really what Paul means. Nah, he's not jumping over. Nah, he's not doing, you know. It's, it's more of this, and it's more of that. Like, I'm going, Really? because they're so uncomfortable with this. But do we know people? Or are we coming to them and we're giving them truth that they can't connect with? Are we answering questions that they're not even asking? Because when the gap's like this, you can't start like it's like this. So you've got to somehow 
bridge that. Then we go further down. This is just, if, if that wasn't enough, what he does is he quotes two Greek prof, uh, poets, right? And these poets are far from godly, but again, he's taking something that they're familiar with, again, to kind of bridge that gap that's there. Now, we're going to show parts of, um, here it is. Here's the first they would pull from. Now, obviously, it was a lot longer than this, but both of these are referring to Zeus, once you think about that, referring to Zeus, they fashioned a tomb for you, holy and high one. That's to Zeus. Cretans, always liars, evil beasts, idle bellies. But you are not dead. That's Zeus. You live and abide forever. Zeus, for in you we live and move and have our being. Look at the next one. Let us begin with Zeus, whom we mortals never leave unspoken. For every street, every marketplace is full of Zeus. Even the sea and the arbor are full of his deity. Everywhere, everyone is indebted to Zeus, for we are indeed his offspring. What? Like Paul takes a poem that's written to the deity Zeus, who's everywhere, pulls out two parts of it and uses it as he talks to the people that he's trying to communicate with. Because again, why does he do it? He does it to bridge the gap. He does it to bridge the gap. He doesn't clean up the lies first, but he starts pointing to God and the gospel. And we'll see in his response here. So let's move on. See where are we at here. So verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, and he made from one man every nation, mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of the dwelling place, that they should seek God in hope that they might feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For, here's part of that poem, in him we live and move and have our being. You think it's Zeus? I'm telling you it's the unknown God. As even some of your poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. You think that it's Zeus and these other gods, but it's actually the God. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image form by the art of imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he was fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. See, what Paul also knew, right, is that just connecting with people, just making sure that people know that you understand them, just making sure that they're valued. Like, that doesn't save people. So, so Paul doesn't stop there, right? Again, he, he leverages culture once again to help them connect with the message of the gospel. It doesn't mean that Paul's approving of these poems or endorsing them. His audience would have known these lines and his audience was on his mind. That's who he was concerned about at that time. So what does he do? He steps in and he says, look, he says, 
That poem, that unknown God, that God, that God created everything, which means he created you and me. That God reigns and he is supreme, okay? And he is sovereign. And that God doesn't need anything for us, from us, but he's close to us and he wants to have a relationship with us. And one day that God is coming back and he is going to judge in righteousness. You see how Paul took this, made a bridge in order to communicate that message. Paul wouldn't have had the same conversation in the synagogue because the synagogue, the gap wouldn't have been as large. He wouldn't have started with those poems. I don't think. He wouldn't have started with the altar of the unknown God. He would have started with scripture, probably go to the Old Testament and go, you've read this. Let me talk to you about how Jesus fulfilled that. You read this. Let me tell you how it was fulfilled in Jesus. You see, two totally different approaches based on who he was talking to. And he was willing to make those changes. He was willing to connect with people in that way because the message of Jesus was too important not to. So Paul was able to step into those moments, no matter what culture that he was in, he was able to navigate and bring the message that he wanted to communicate to the people he was communicating to. So as we end, um, the question would be, what does this mean for me, right? Whenever we sit under God's word or we read God's word, that, that it shouldn't be just information, it shouldn't be just an account of something that happened. Um, but we should ask the question, okay, God, what, what, what does this mean for me? And, and I was really challenged when I was put, I wasn't challenged, let's just say that I felt led to say, um, or to move in a direction here to go, I'm, I'm not going to say here are the application pieces and go. I felt like God was saying, just create space in here this morning and let me move. Let me do what only I can do and let my people know what's next. So what we're going to do is we're going to spend a little bit of time. Jake's going to play. And I was praying before the message this morning that God would take something. There was so much in this that he would take something that we can't shake. Something that in this message, God was going, hey, 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 that's you. Like, like this is what I want you to do. This is what I need from you. Because here's the reality. Like, we just can't take Paul and his example and just kind of apply it into our lives. Like, it's really, really difficult. All of us aren't going to be like um, students of culture, and I'm not asking that. But Paul, even with everything that Paul did and accomplished and everything that he sustained, it didn't happen because Paul was Paul. It happened because Christ was in Paul. Does that make sense? It happened because the Holy Spirit was moving in his life, in him and through him and for him. And he was being obedient to the Spirit. So I just want to open up things this morning here for a little bit, just to be open to the Spirit. Because all of us could have different marching orders as we leave here today. And God is the God who can sort all of that out. So as Jake pray, uh, plays, just spend some time with him. Say, Holy Spirit, what is this theme for me? What do you want?
What does this look like in my life? Dear Holy Spirit, thank you for meeting with us this morning. God, I thank you for um, being able to bring this message because of the reminder it is to me in my own life. The challenge that it brings me, the conviction that it brings me. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just continue to, man, continue to work on us. It doesn't stop right here, God, but it goes with us because you go with us. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. So this message really isn't about engaging culture, is it? I mean, we can say that, but it's more of a message about engaging people. Because like I said, not all of us are going to have time to learn about culture and engage like, okay, how does this work and where does this and where is it heading and what influence that it has? But all of us have connection with people. And it's really, really interesting because in the early church, when the gospel was presented and people started following Christ, culture changed, right? But God didn't send his son to save culture. He sent his son to save lost people. But it's interesting in the process of that as lost people are found, how that changes the environment and the world around us, even if it's just in a small segment. And it's interesting. And I have a feeling that Sean, we haven't talked to him. I have a feeling that Sean's going to go here next week. And if he's not, he might now since I just threw it out there. If you go earlier into chapter 17, there's a little verse there in verse 16. And it's interesting. People are so mad because the gospel came in and was making some changes. And they were really mad about it and they started shouting and they shout, these men who have turned the world upside down have come to us. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part, a group of people that follow Jesus and turn the world upside down. How exciting that would be to actually be a part of that. But we can't do it on our own. Jesus has to be front and center of all of it. And by the way, the last part of this passage, didn't have time to read it, but even if you follow what Paul did, even if you understand culture, even if the Holy Spirit is the one leading you into the moment, some people are going to mock as you share the gospel. Some are going to say, share a little bit more, but some, we read about some, will end up following him. 